irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tai here. Hello to those of you who are watching on Facebook Live. Thank you for being with us today. And those of you listening, just audio. I really appreciate you downloading my show and rating my show on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Um, That helps a lot. And I'd love to hear from you. Please go to my website, NOLA Therapy, N-O-L-A, therapy.com it is the abbreviation for new orleans los angeles therapy i'd love to work with you as your healing practitioner i would love to know if you're interested in being a guest on my show if you have someone you'd like me to interview and how i can reach them and um i've just i'd like to say a little bit of maybe how my day was before coming in the studio i felt really ungrounded today and i don't know if any others of you are I know that Venus retrogrades in Scorpio tomorrow and that energy's already started I feel like I've had to just put my foot on top of one foot on top of the other to hold myself to the ground so it's kind of weird I'm not sure what's going on exactly but I notice feeling a little more flighty than usual and it might help if I just say that and like oh ground myself so um what else please support the work that I do through the crowdfunding campaign that I have through Patreon. That link is patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. You'll also find a lot of other podcasters, artists, and writers. And it's really cool. They they talk about what they're doing. You can give us from a dollar a month to whatever is affordable for you. And it helps us keep doing what we love. And I definitely love doing this. Okay, my guest today is Melanie Phillips. She put out a number one selling Amazon book titled Living After Loss, A Soulful Guide to Freedom. She is a certified clinical Ayurvedic specialist. She's a yoga teacher, a spiritual coach. And if you want to follow along with us today or later when you're home, you can do that at her website, which is MajuriMethod.com, M-A-D. H-U-R-I, method.com. That is her spiritual name given to her when she lived in an ashram in India. And we're going to talk to her about her work, her life, her book. And with that, I just want to welcome you, Melanie. Thank you for being with us today. And thank you so much, Lisa. It's my absolute privilege and honor to be with you and your audience today. Thank you. You are so welcome. I'm curious where you'd like to start us off today. Hmm. Well, and I wondered if you felt off. ungrounded at all, like I was mentioning. You know, I I'm feeling pretty good today. Good, good, <laughs> pretty solid. But over the last, you know, the last six months uh, have been quite intense uh, for me personally, and I know astrologically as well. There's been a lot of things going on, eclipse season. So I, I feel like seeing the clients that I work with, observing my own personal life. There's been a lot shaking up yeah and a lot shifting and transforming internally and sometimes I think is it just always like that but it it definitely feels like the last 
many months have been intensified, at least in my world. Thank you for saying that, because what you said resonates within me as well. So in your work, there's some themes that, that come up. And even the way you structured the book, I thought was really cool. You talk, you speak of impermanence, which I think runs through your book so much and, and losing your partner, Andrew, and the connection with your stepson and other subsequent losses that you were able to navigate and then put out this beautiful book. Thank you. And yeah, so when I began to write this book, uh, it was essentially inspired by the sudden suicide of my life partner. And it was literally, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I knew that a book was going to be written. It wasn't like, oh, I want to write a book on grief and loss. It wasn't quite like that. It was more like, you're writing a book on grief and loss. And in fact, it's interesting that you say impermanence because the original title that I heard that felt downloaded to me was accepting impermanence. Mm. And that later got shifted um, as there's a lot of Buddhist connotations with that. So uh, I changed the title, but I began to look back through my entire life, uh, not just at the loss of my partner, Mm -hmm. but realizing there were so many losses uh, and so many losses I had never acknowledged, recognized, or honored. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is uh, quite a universal theme, or at least in in our culture, that we're not always honoring losses. And losses, from my experience, accumulate. Yes. And amplify. (laughs) And then we have, you know, one, one loss, which may be something very seemingly insignificant or something enormous that just shatters everything. Yes. Like in the situation of Andrew killing himself. Yes. And and through that, I began to realize that there were, there was so much grief inside of me even before uh, he had died that I had never really acknowledged and I, I still get to, you know, sit with that hmm. daily and feel the layers and the complexity of just of being human. Yes. I, I also appreciate you sharing what you just said. And in all honesty, my ungroundedness started with yesterday. I uh, was reminded of a significant loss I went through three years ago hmm. and found something that reminded me of that individual and it was unexpected in a semi-traumatic way and I've I haven't quite Mm -hmm. regained my footing though I've meditated and went to the gym and I know it just takes some time often and and when you said how um my paraphrase that our culture you know doesn't really allow or have the space to give us to grieve to be with our feelings to even be off to be uh, not quite put together and maybe even a little disorganized temporarily. I'm wondering how you dealt with that after Andrew's death so unexpectedly and then subsequently his family being abusive towards you and keeping you from your stepson mm-hmm. and and having to work. It just, I, I felt so much emotion listening to your audiobook and and your mm-hmm. journey. Yeah, when I reflect back on that time, I'm, I honestly don't know how I got through it other than just 
literally being in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was such an intense period. And, and throughout the book, I, I share more of the details of this, although not all of the details. Uh, Andrew's body wasn't found for weeks. So there was all of this unknown, sort of the known on a deep core level that he was gone, but all of this unknown because nothing added up. Mm-hmm. So there was so much instability and from an Ayurvedic uh, medicine perspective, this instability invokes the air and ether elements. So wind, essentially, imagine a tornado coming into your life. And so anything unknown or unstable uh, or traumatic is going to increase that uh, inner anxiety and stress on the nervous system, essentially. So I was definitely under a lot of stress already with being in such a perplexed state, there were so many questions, there was so much confusion, nothing was was clear, uh, and the trauma had started and continued. And as you mentioned, Lisa, the trauma of his family turning on me and essentially making me the scapegoat was so deeply painful because here I was in this moment of, of loss of the man who I thought... You know, I'm going to have children and grandchildren with. And I honestly, in my head, was thinking, you know, his parents will be the people that I'll be with them on their deathbed. We'll yes. have Christmases together. And I, I literally thought that's how it would go. Yes. Um, and I, I, still... had, I had images of, you know, co-parenting. Yeah, that's what I was, uh, yeah. Andrew's son with his ex-wife. Like, that's where my mind went to was sort of this collaborative, collective experience. And it, it was nothing like that at all and so that was another uh, shock and and trauma that my nervous system and my my consciousness and my heart needed to navigate it was unexpected to hear in your book about your relationship history and meeting when you were young i think in college and then separating for a number of years and then coming back together and realizing okay we're going to give this a go we're going to we're meant to be together. I was like, wow, this is such a beautiful love story. And then boom, you know, he was scheduled to be at the doctor and you felt like something was wrong and, and it was, and just how life altering and that you've been able to make some meaning out of it over the last few years too is beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And it, it, it may be one of those things that goes into the compartment of our lives that we'll never fully understand that it it goes under that label of you know there's just some things that don't make make sense that maybe don't seem fair or that we'll never fully comprehend and I don't believe we're meant to necessarily understand everything from our limited human perspective right but I've definitely decided very early on after his death that I'm still here yes. <laughs> and I have to be here uh there were moments where I didn't want to be here anymore. And that was an unusual feeling for me. I'm just like, I didn't want to be on this planet without him. Mm. And I realized that really wasn't an option because I saw the devastation that, that suicide leaves behind. Yes. And so I thought I have to find a way to be okay in my own mind. Yes. Because the pain was, so excruciating and I thought I've, I've got to I've got to figure this out I've got to 
heal. I've got to. I've got to make um, it through this. I've got to get through this because if I'm going to be alive for many more years, I do not and cannot live in this state of, you know, that early on shock and trauma and grief and depression and and pain of it all. Absolutely. I just knew that uh, there's no point in being here. If that was going to be the rest of my days, we're going to be like that. Absolutely. You talk in your book about discovering some tools that helped you to move from feeling what would be natural victimization. I think that word sometimes gets a negative connotation put on it inherently when there are situations where people are victimized and that's that's natural and moving into a place of empowerment and viewing things from a different perspective. Can you talk to us about that process and those tools that now you're able to offer others? Sure. Uh, I had a foundation in yoga studies. I'd been uh, practicing and teaching yoga for you know, almost 20 years. And I don't know if, if it would be, if my experience would be different if I hadn't had that foundation. There were moments where I thought, oh gosh, none of this even helps. You know, all the years of yoga meditation, none of it helped. But I had a dear friend point out that, you know, you don't know how you would be if you hadn't had that foundation. So a lot of the practices of yoga, meditation, of being present were very useful but not initially because there was no way that after Andrew's death that I could sit down in a cross-legged position and meditate it was excruciating to even sit mm-hmm. still yes so those those tools of meditation you know people say well, meditation is good for everyone all the time I, I disagree completely it depends on the state of our nervous system I like that so at that time yeah. I I really there was something in me, there was some kind of fire in me that was like, I got to figure this out. I had, I had been aware of and had been studying uh, the work of Byron Katie, mm-hmm. which I'm imagining you're familiar with yes. and a lot of your listeners maybe as well. Yes. Um, I studied some of the Course in Miracles. Yes, I uh, noticed work, I picked that up. And also had been following some of the Abraham Hicks teachings. Absolutely. And, and I, for me personally, I don't think any one of those are, are complete just for me, but that the culmination and sort of drawing upon all of those techniques and tools and philosophies and understanding from these different areas allowed me in my own mind to put together something that worked. Mm -hmm. So one of the main techniques and tools that I used and I write about in the book, and it is what Abraham Hicks channels and talks about as finding a better feeling thought, essentially. So whatever state mm -hmm. of thinking that you're currently at, there's always room for expansion. So what would happen, and it's a training, it was not just something I could do half-heartedly. The nights were always really hard, like the dark, you know, as, as night would come, the darkness just brings up another layer of, of grief, I think, naturally. And I was still living in the apartment that Andrew yes. and I had with his son and all his belongings there, and I would be lying in our bed and it, thought after thought and memory and horrendous images would come into my mind and I would have to stop. And literally I could like say stop. And then I would muster up the courage or I would try to, to be present. 
So the better feeling thought in those instances would me be saying to myself, my head is touching the pillow. My body is lying on the mattress. There's a blanket over my body. So bringing me into reality, the, the true reality of all that's happening here. Yes. Beyond my thinking, beyond the pain of my mental and emotional body is the reality is this is what's happening. I'm lying here. Everything else is the internal torment. And, and I, so by becoming incredibly present like that, it would give me like a millisecond of, of space, hmm. of perspective outside of the tormented thoughts. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and what you're talking about is, is so important for anyone listening and going through a loss, feeling ungrounded, completely destabilized even to, like you said, the blanket's on me, here's the desk like call your attention, speak it out loud. There's a black chair. There's the window to to bring yourself into the moment when the mind just is going crazy, flying yeah. around. And I like that you exactly. brought up the Abraham Hicks uh, teachings. And for listeners that, that may or may not know about Abraham Hicks, if you go to YouTube, you can put in Abraham Hicks and there are hundreds and hundreds of videos they have a channel and I listen often to their teachings and in the reaching for a better feeling thought I used to think that feeling anger feeling rage is negative like let me just try to eradicate that emotion because it's so uncomfortable for me but I noticed in the teachings that they'll talk about you know reaching feeling resentment is a higher vibration than feeling disempowerment and depression and feeling rage even frustration it's it's like you said reaching for a better feeling thought to pull you out of say what's what's dragging you down energetically and I found that to be so helpful and I wondered how you worked through the rightful anger and rage that you were feeling at the shock and disappointment towards I'm imagining especially his family who cut off the checking account paying for your home that you had together and you didn't know till the check didn't cash for your rent and just the just insidiousness of, of making things so hard for you and how you worked with the anger and the rage. Hmm. That's a great question. And I'm trying to think, you know, yeah, think back to what that really looks like. Um, I remember there was some destruction. <laughs> there, was, yeah. there was a moment of, um, of destruction. And I had a friend come over and I had destroyed this painting and uh, I had a friend walk in, and she's she's a really clued friend, and she just looked at the painting that had been destroyed, and she looked at me. She's like, "Thank goodness, like thank goodness that you've that you're expressing this anger." Yes. Uh, thank goodness that you're you're communicating that. Um, another incident that that happened in the book. My tendency throughout my life has been, I would say, honestly, is to suppress anger and to go into sadness, and so. Connecting to that that part is a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an incident that happened where I had some friends over. Uh, this was maybe a month after Alistair was gone or Andrew was gone. And there was myself in the living room, I think about three friends. And one of my friends at the time was I'm sure trying to be helpful. I, I can only imagine. And I, I was angry. This was the point okay. of like, I'm in a state of anger. Yes. I'm in a, um, a moment of rage. And 
I was complaining about how I had been treated and essentially, yeah, just complaining about this and being upset about this. And my friend looked at me and she said, well, that's great. Let's, you know, let's just stand up and shake all that out. Mm. And in that moment, I remember looking at the ground and staring at the carpet and inside feeling the deepest level of humiliation I think that I'd ever experienced. That somehow it wasn't okay and that I'm supposed to just shake this off and that it felt that I wasn't being heard, honored, seen, and that somehow I was supposed to just get over this. Yeah. And, and, and in that moment, I felt extreme, like the, this Kali, rageful, yes. fierceful energy just came out of me. And I said, I don't. And then I swore, yeah, want to shake okay. it out. Yeah. Yes. Good for you. You know, and it felt, I mean, that was just a, a power beyond me. It just came out of this deep humiliation and shame and this feeling of like, that in that moment, I felt that I didn't want to be alive. Mm. And so that was uh, the the anger that came out. Were, it wasn't necessarily um, planned or uh, done in a graceful way. It was just really raw it in those raw. moments that it needed to be really raw. Well, and and I think her yeah. her uh, what she said to you is indicative of how we don't know how to handle death, especially an unexpected death, especially a suicide. That we are so inadequate at knowing what to say or how to be and and I think it's about just being with you being with the person often without saying anything just to be there and yeah. be available would you yeah agree that that's what I would you agree needed? wholeheartedly I felt uh, my dad was one of the really kind of main anchors and pillars in that experience he flew out from the east side of Canada uh, to be with me in those first few weeks and he never tried to fix anything. He never tried to say everything will be better. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. He didn't do any of that. He literally just was there and he validated my pain mm -hmm. and I, I'm sure felt quite helpless, <laughs> uh, but he didn't make it about him. Yeah. And I look back and think, wow, that, the way he just naturally knew or didn't know, but the way he was with me was so powerful and so deeply healing. And yeah, it wasn't about saying the right thing or doing the right thing. It was literally, he was just there and he really heard me. He really listened to me because my, at that time, like the repetition of the story and the confusion and the, like, it was neurotic. It was continuous and he just yes. listened and, wasn't like, oh, I've heard you say this four times already today. Or He really had a lot of space for me. Yes. And I found that not many people in my life had that capacity. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad he was there for you and intuitively understood that you just needed to be in whatever state and space that you were in going through this yeah unexpected devastating loss and change in your life having to just reconfigure everything everything yeah everything my whole uh, sense of reality of self of um my home i had to move uh, quite early on everything i had changed in in 
in an instant. And you talk in your book about life being our teacher and our initiation. Can you talk to us about some of those themes that you address in your book? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, I I tell a lot of my own stories in this book and mostly just so that people can relate. And, and there's the big losses and maybe people won't be able to relate to the suicide of their partners and many will. Uh, but also the smaller losses, like the loss of a dream for me as a child to be a dancer, like that was mm. such a big uh, impact. And then I ha- also in my... 20s throughout my 20s pretty much into my 30s had spent a lot of time in an ashram in India yes I'd love to hear uh, you talk about had, that yeah I'd taken some some initiations there I had taken on a spiritual name of uh, Madhuri I had shaved my head I had um, been through a real sort of process that is very foreign to us in the west and very foreign to me as a Canadian girl growing up in a small farming town. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like this was normal or usual or known. So uh, there's those kinds of initiations where there are formal initiations. And what I recognize now is that we don't have to necessarily seek out these initiations. They're happening Mm. all the time. (laughs) Life will literally initiate us. Um, as and when we need and however we need. And it's, it's the, whether we see it as a curse or a blessing, uh, and I'm not suggesting anyone sees everything as a, a blessing if they're not ready to. Absolutely. But for me, I'm constantly trying to look at, okay, if it's true, if I really buy into the belief that life is happening for me and not to me, how could this possibly grow me? How could this experience possibly open my heart even more and allow me to expand my own consciousness and perhaps even share this with others and support someone else in their life or transformation or journey? And you allowed all of these experiences to do that through you, to be of service now in the ways that, that you are and in, in your work, in your personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk to us about Ayurveda, number one. And then number two, I was curious about being given a spiritual name and, and about that. So whichever direction you prefer to go in or another. Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about the spiritual name first. Okay. Because that's sort of the, ten, the topic that we're coming out of. Yeah. Uh, I think there's many different religions, philosophies, uh, lineages, a particular lineage that I was associated with for a while in my life was uh, through this ashram in India, and there was a living guru, which when I first went there, I didn't know what that meant, Mm -hmm. and maybe I still don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very, you know, different cultural experience. Um, My heart was very much opened in this ashram, and I had gone from, you know, through my high school and university years being an atheist and a feminist and being sort of against anything that seemed to be patriarchal, hierarchical. Uh, and when I got to the ashram, you know, they were, they used words like God, which I felt really allergic to initially. And, and now I'm, I'm happy to use that word mm-hmm. and it doesn't uh, leave a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, but there was something that I felt very compelled to take these initiations and essentially 
the way I see it is the initiation was uh, a commitment to myself. And this is where it can get diluted or convoluted with when other people, i.e. gurus or teachers become involved because we can give up our power to others so easily, especially when there is someone that is put on a pedestal, projected you know, onto them that they're enlightened or what have you, and and it can get very muddy yes. for our ego. It can get very confusing. And you experienced that too. You speak about that in your book. At one I, I did. Life. I did experience that and I think went through a major process of almost like coming into a codependent relationship with the guru uh, mm. and then eventually coming out of that of really realizing I don't want a middleman anymore <laughs> I yes. just want to connect to source, source energy I want to connect to the divine and I don't want any idea any taint of anyone or anything known externally or internally within my inner voice criticizing me uh, giving any taint of not enoughness that oh you'll be you're not spiritual enough you're not holy enough you're not this enough that enough um, so for me, I went through a whole, you know, probably almost 15 year process of this inner dance until I think I developed the inner strength to realize that I don't need to have the idea, the projection of something external uh, to feel blessed in my life or to keep me safe, essentially, from bad things happening. And and that's what happened after my partner died. I realized the guru wasn't there for me. Mm. (laughs) You know, this, this guru that has thousands of followers and disciples, uh, the guru wasn't there for me, but my friends were, my family were the people that really were able to show up were there for me. And I recognized in that, that this is what matters to me. The the people that are really there, not the idea of someone, not some so-called enlightened being that, you know, will bless us if we're lucky enough in this lifetime. But to get really honest with myself about who I'm really connected to, who I really am, and what that means on my day to day in my day to day life, and and in my sort of deeper existential understanding as well. And you showed up for yourself. You were there for you, and I think that exactly. is when things potentially started to to shift for you when you just really embraced yourself at the deepest level through this loss and decided I'm going to find a way through this. Yeah, exactly. We are going to take Melanie a quick commercial break and, and be right back. Sounds good. Okay. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of all things therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. Do you want to help your 
yourself and friends find a purpose in life, then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Ty here as she initiates a one on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back. I am with Melanie Phillips. She is the author of the Amazon, number one Amazon best-selling book titled Living After Loss, A Soulful Guide to Freedom. Are you with me, Melanie? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. It looks like the call might have dropped. Awesome. Okay, good. It did. I, I had a technical <laughs> moment. No, it's okay. We, but I'm here. Good, good. <laughs> you know, I would love for you to share with listeners how they can get your book. It was just such a beautiful read that was riveting. I did not expect your story to go where it did and to those deep places and then out again into the light. So I'd love for you to take mm. some time to talk about that and the upcoming events that you have and workshops available for people. Sure. Um, yeah, I didn't expect that my story would go where it did either. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't Good think this was going to be my life, but yeah. here we are. Here we are. Um, people people can find uh, Living After Loss on Amazon from whatever country they're in. Uh, Living After Loss, A Social Guide to Freedom. And if people are interested in connecting with me my website is madurimethod.com, M-A-D-H-U-R-I method.com. And I offer very often lots of complimentary online masterclass trainings, uh, blogs, videos, all sorts of things. So feel free to connect with me there. And I have an upcoming program, which is an online uh, three-month mentorship program beginning at the end of October. And really that is to look holistically at our existence. So the first month is really focused more on the physical through the lens of Ayurveda, of looking at the individual constitution and which foods and herbs and lifestyle practices are going to be best for you as an individual. And the second and third months, we go deeper into the more subtle aspects of the mental, emotional, and energetic bodies. And I teach and share and support the students through uh, a lot of what I've lived through and learned in my life and how to work through our challenges, how to expand our consciousness, how to live from a heart-centered place, and also in a really real way of, yeah, when we have anger, we want to feel that and express that, in, and we want to move beyond it. Yes. So uh, a lot of what I share in the book, those tools, we also look at in the mentorship program and then much more as well. Can you talk to us about what Ayurveda is Mm-hmm. Okay. So Ayurveda is one of the oldest holistic healing uh, systems on the planet today. So it's the medical system that was based in India. However, my understanding and appreciation of Ayurveda really sees it as the system of medicine that would have been unique to every indigenous culture on the planet. They may, you know, other cultures may not have called it Ayurveda, well, they definitely didn't, but uh, living in rhythm with nature, uh, understanding our makeup of the five elements of earth, of water, fire, air, and ether within our own individual being and within the environment around us and how these interact or the 
alchemy of it mm. uh, to create either health or dis-ease. So Ayurvedic medicine looks at to the root of dis-ease. What is the root cause that is creating the imbalance that's showing up physically, mentally, and emotionally? Because okay. until we get to understanding the root cause, then we're just sort of re- dealing with symptoms and trying to appease symptoms, but not looking deeper below the surface. So Ayurveda allows us the ability to look deeper to what is causing the imbalance and then addressing at the root level these imbalances. And using some natural remedies and healing techniques, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, Ayurveda it has a, a whole understanding of, of food, of, of herbal medicine, and Ayurveda is completely accepting and complementary to uh, Western medicine, to naturopathic medicine, to other forms of healing. It's not exclusive, and that's what I really love about it. It's very inclusive of other modalities because it's looking at who we are and how we may be in or out of balance, and there's no one modality that's necessarily going to satisfy everything so it's looking at the using the principles of ayurveda and you know sometimes i recommend to my clients maybe they need to start take up swimming and that's going to be really good for them or go rock climbing or you know have more oil in their diet it is so unique and, and individual to the person and that's what i love about it it's looking at who are you what's going on with you physically, mentally, and emotionally, what makes you who you are? What have your life experiences been that create your current state today? And I like how Ayurveda also connects us to the the earth, the elements, the, our natural world, and just that, that concept of us being one and interconnected with our planet and, and how to do that in a, in a practical sense too, I hear. Absolutely. And when we really get that we are the microcosm of the macrocosm, uh, we get it. Like, we know that, right? When the seasons change, uh, we need to change what we're putting into our body. We need to change the way we dress, too. We do that naturally. But typically for people in a a winter environment, uh, eating salad is going to be detrimental and even cause harm to, to the individual because it's not what nature is providing for us at the time. So there's a time exactly. and a place for everything, and everything can be medicine, depending on who it's for, how much, when, and what's going on. You know, so it's a very common sense science, um, and then it's also very esoteric. It, it looks at us on a spiritual level mm-hmm. as well. It doesn't think that, oh, we're just a body. It looks at us as a, as a soul here on uh, this planet experiencing uh, our, our dharma, living out our soul purpose. So it's very inclusive of the physical and also the spiritual. You know, I'm I'm curious, Melanie, as you've done your your events, your mentorship program, the master class, you just concluded the beginning of just even a day or so ago, right? Your uh, yep. fuck perfection, how to live yeah. your many your messy life and love it, which I just love that title. Yeah. I'm curious as to <laughs> how much of when when you're doing your workshops interface and if people have read your book and how um you know how you handle because you're I mean you share something so personally about losing your life partner 
and him taking his life and subsequently what you experienced. And then you're also in this role of teacher, mentor. And if that's hard to, because it's such an emotional work that you're doing, how you are able to hold both spaces. Hmm. I feel like one of my gifts and one of my strengths is to to be able to really hold space for people. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm an empath and can feel a lot, when I'm sitting in the seat of the teacher, mm-hmm. I feel like my bandwidth and my capacity expands a million fold. And I'm able to sit both in my own experience and be with the other and I feel like that has been what has allowed me to, you know, stand up in front of hundreds of people and tell my story. Uh, when I step into a place of service and thinking if this helps one person, if, my, if me telling this story can help one person, then I've done my job. I feel that, as you said it, sitting in that position of teacher, you're expanded to hold the space of both in a way like you're not carrying it alone. Spirit is with you. Yeah. And it no longer becomes about my life story because truly it's not. And that's that's not why I've included that in the book. Um, Can you speak more to that? It becomes. Yeah, I, I feel like it becomes my story becomes anyone's story. Got it. And maybe not in the exact same way, but loss is loss. And grief is grief. And the human experience of that loss. So, for example, I'm always quite curious and intrigued when uh, I work with women in my practice who have had an abortion or maybe multiple abortions. Mm -hmm. And if I ask a little bit deeper into that of and and maybe there's someone who, you know, in their life, even though they had an abortion 20 years ago, they've got reproductive issues that are going on. And so as we delve a little bit deeper, a question I might ask would be, was there ever a ceremony? Was there ever any um, grieving done over the loss of that baby? Mm, absolutely. And for so many women, it was like that that didn't even occur to them. Yeah. And society doesn't, you know, you have an abortion and you move on. It's not I think, honored. I think women are more shamed than honored and allowed exactly. to grieve that in, in whatever way yeah. they may or may not need to. Exactly. So, so it's not spoken about. It's not shared with other people. Um, so there's a lot of shame, and a lot of women carry this shame um, in their reproductive system, yeah. and it can create imbalance. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of stigma around it. Still to this day, right? There's a lot of stigma around that, and not a lot of support and understanding. So you're able to really help women with that issue, particularly in addition to other losses by you sharing what you have experienced. I hope so. And I feel that that true. I have a lot of people that come to me with horrendous life stories and experiences. And um, I feel like I can be okay with them in that, Mm -hmm. that nothing really phases me anymore. Yeah. Um, Nothing is going to take me. Nothing will shock me as far as someone telling me what has happened in their story. I might feel for it, but it's not going to come as a surprise. It's not too much for you to handle. It's not too much for me. No. What would you like to leave us with, Melanie, in our our last moments? 
Uh, I would like to leave the listeners with hope, with a, a knowing that wherever they're at in their life, that there's potential and possibility for things to feel lighter and to change, that this too shall pass. And even if you're moving through a really deep challenge, um, that you can navigate this and use it as grist for the mill, as growth, as fertilizer on your, your soul's journey, and that there's no mistake here. So really let life grow you, let life move through you and allow yourself to stay open in your heart because there's a lot of love uh, inside and in this, on this planet. And this, your experiences have really facilitated you to grow into, I feel like, all of yourself. And that that's what you're encouraging mm. people to allow within themselves also. Yes, absolutely. And thank you. You're welcome. Melanie, thank you for being with us today and sharing your book. You're so welcome, Lisa. It's been a real honor. For thank me you. as well. You're very welcome. I hope you have a good afternoon. And you. Thank Take you. Care. Bye. Bye. That concludes my show today with author Melanie Phillips. Her Amazon best-selling book is Living After Loss, A Soulful Guide to Freedom. Join me next week for another episode. And I meant to say earlier, please add your email to my email list. I am putting a book out in 2019 about self-forgiveness and healing through empathy. Um, Go to nolatherapy.com forward slash Chiron, C-H-I-R-O-N, and NOLA Therapy. It's there as well. Thank you. I hope everyone has a really good week. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only.